And what a pleasure and an honor for me as well to share the platform this morning with the four West members who will be speaking to you a little bit about their experience here at West and with West as a welcoming congregation. And so I want to set just a tiny bit of context for you. West, since the um, late summer has been working on what's really an official certification as a welcoming congregation, capital W, capital C. That's a certification within the Unitarian Universalist Association that designates a congregation as having done a certain amount of work toward welcoming members of the LGBTQ community. And um, Uh, And it allows us to be listed in a particular way on websites and to have that as part of our literature. So there's this kind of formal, official part of the certification. But of course, being a really welcoming congregation goes much deeper than any kind of um, stamp of approval or even vote of the membership. And I think it's that going deeper that the four folks are going to be talking about a little bit this morning. We've had since since the end of the summer a film festival, a number of welcoming congregation workshops, and those workshops will be repeated again this spring starting actually at the end of this month. And so I encourage you to attend those if you have not already. Um, And then it will ultimately, we hope, culminate with a vote in June, although I should say that even that culmination is really the beginning of further intentional work as we go about living that welcome uh, in our community together. So it's my real pleasure to have these folks speaking for us today, and I'm going to let them do just that. Thank you, Amanda, and good morning, everyone. I hope you can hear me. My name is Ellen Kahn. I've been a member, I'm going to say, about 15 years or so. I'm sure I'll be corrected later. Um, it's, it's, it's close. Um, when Julie and I moved here from Philadelphia about 18 years ago, leaving behind our uh, family and friends, um, we began the arduous journey of trying to create a new community for ourselves. Uh, we established some friendships in the first year with neighbors and uh, some friends from work, and because we had a dog, our dog introduced us to other dogs, and... <laughs> You know, that helps a little bit, too, in finding some human connection. But it really was a slow process before we felt like we were a part of something. Uh, Julie became intrigued by Wes as she drove up and down 16th Street and started coming in for Sunday platforms in the Uh, mid-'90s. She invited me, of course, but I usually chose playing tennis or mowing the lawn or just sleeping late and lounging around. I had always been very wary of any kind of congregational life. Um, but there was another reason I was lukewarm about coming into Wes, and that's the same reason I still feel tentative about entering new places, even at age 50, and uh, someone who's been a professional lesbian for 20 or so years. Um, and that is, I, I worry about standing out. I worry about how I'm going to be perceived in a community or in a situation where I anticipate most people are straight. Um, I am boyish, or butch, as we used to say. Um, My gender expression is skewed toward masculine, or you might say I'm androgynous. And I stand out. I stand out as a lesbian. And when I walk into a new place, I often wonder uh, what that's going to mean in terms of how people interact with me, um, what kind of questions they ask, or will they, you know, talk to me at all. It's some baggage I still carry. So 15 years ago, and still today, I think it's fair to say that LGBT members and visitors are still very much a minority at West. I can't speak for all of us, but I know when I first come into a new place and when I first came through the doors here, 
um, my, I go into this um, radar mode where I start scanning the environment. I look for signs that say, I'm welcome here. I listen for things. I sort of pay attention to how people are um, interacting with me or talking. Um, and that's a way that I kind of assess whether this is a welcoming space. Um, many of us do this. We, we engage that radar when we go into new territory. And uh, keep in mind that, like the baggage I shared, I have many of us come with baggage. Uh, we may have been rejected by our families of origin. We may have been rejected by a religious congregation that we had a connection to for many years. We may have been teased by peers. We may be isolated. We might be closeted. Um, but we come here searching for a new family, for a new home, and it can take a lot of courage to come through the door. So needless to say, I'm still here. I did feel welcome enough um, to join Julie more often on Sundays and to find my own way here at West. Uh, we've been very lucky to have such a welcoming congregational home here at West. Our children, now 13 and 9, were both born into this community, into a circle of love and support. I see many faces of those who were at the uh, shower for Ruby um, 13 and a half years ago. Um, many of you were the first to bring food, to bring cards, and offer your congratulations. And though Julie is the birth mother of both children and twice walked through the halls of West with a nine-month pregnant belly, um, I felt embraced and respected as the other parent and as an equal parent. There was ever, never any minimization of my role. Now, for some West members, Julie and I were the first two-mom family they knew personally. And there was some curiosity about how we conceived our children. And there was some stumbling for words when trying to talk about our family or to ask us some questions. But we never experienced anything overtly negative or insensitive. And I think just through the process of having people see us as a family, seeing our children grow and thrive, getting to know us as a family, any concerns or the unknowns that were there just faded away. Peggy Gates, who runs our Sunday school program, asked us early on, what will the girls call us, mama and mommy? How can we help answer questions that might come up? How can you have two mommies? Making the Sunday school experience one that's safe and welcoming for our children as well. And that's the beauty of a welcoming congregation. We all grow together, learning how to make room for all expressions of sexuality, gender, and family structures. So once Julie and I were firmly rooted here at West, we began our own recruitment campaign. And yes, we do recruit. <laughs> now, why do we recruit? Well, the, the, the first reason is that we love West. This is a great community. It's nurtured us. It's filled us in many ways. And it's been a very loving environment for our children. And we wanted our friends to know about it and to experience that ourselves. But there is another reason, and that is that we wanted more LGBT people here. We wanted more same-sex couples with children here. It's not easy to be in such a small minority, and we know that strength and a sense of safety comes in numbers. So we started recruiting, and we are quite proud to have recruited Sarah and Kao. Uh, not too shabby. Uh, right there. <laughs> I've been on the board of a local organization called Rainbow Families, which is comprised of LGBT parents and prospective parents. And for years, we've conducted our maybe baby groups right here in this building, bringing in a whole you know, future generation of LGBT parents. And for the past four years, we've hosted our annual family dance right in this hall. Last night, this joint was rocking. It was our annual dance. We had about 55 families, um, 130 kids, ranging from infants to teenagers. And it's, it's, 
it was very intentional, and you'll have to give Julie credit. She always said, why don't you use Wes? Why don't you use Wes? It is a great way to introduce people. Um, it, so it was intentional in choosing this as a venue for Rainbow Families. It's been quite fruitful, I must say. Uh, Alex and um, Elise and their children are here because they came to Rainbow Families events and, begot, and were kind of curious about the community. Uh, Lisa and Cindy, um, knowing us through Rainbow Families and knowing we were another same-sex family here, felt like it was, a, you know, word of mouth is very powerful in our community. So it, it's, you know, we do, we, we have um, done our part to bring other people in. And clearly we have to be, we have to feel welcome and safe enough to be able to do that with a high level of confidence. Now, just so you don't think we are trying to take over to queer West. <laughs> we also, I will say we also recruited our dear friend and neighbor, Kristen Premack, who's a new member, and she is a supportive straight ally. <laughs> I didn't want to out her as that, but I... You know. um, in my role at the Human Rights Campaign, I developed different kinds of cultural competency training for professionals who work with, with families and children. So I work with child welfare professionals and um, teachers and counselors and healthcare providers. And basically what I help them do is, is create a welcome mat for LGBT families. So whatever environment they're in, whatever their practice is, it's a hospital or it's a school or it's a small practice, um, how do they create a welcoming environment? Um, and it's, I, in those, uh, with those audiences, we talk about cultural competency. Uh, that's a buzzword that is known to professionals. It's, a, it's part of a code of ethics. It's a professional standard. And I think the basic tenets of what it means to be culturally competent are very relevant to this conversation today. Um, cultural competency is defined as an ability to interact effectively with people of different cultures and socioeconomic backgrounds. It has four components, awareness of one's own cultural wor worldview, attitudes toward different cultures, knowledge of different cultural practices and worldviews, and cross-cultural skills and ability to understand and communicate effectively and interact with people across cultures. Now, Many of you may not think of the LGBT community as a culture, but we really do have our own, many things that we share are, are, are part of a culture. So let's just think about the LGBT community as a culture for the purposes of this conversation. Um, you can't be truly welcoming and supportive and affirming of the community if you haven't achieved uh, a certain level of cultural competence, both, both at the macro level as well as uh, at the micro level, what each of us know and do and say in our interactions with other members and visitors. Um, in my experience as a trainer, I find that many peop most people think they're much further along in their own you know, cultural competence than they are. As my friend Anne likes to say, they don't know what they don't know. Um, and so one of the things I always start off with is I talk about language and terminology. It's a really good way to kind of get people talking and get a sense of what the baseline knowledge is. Um, so you'll hear a lot today about the importance and the power of language. And I'll just illustrate this um, based on a few experiences of my own. In my trainings, I often hear people say, I don't have a problem with that lifestyle. And I think, hmm, lifestyle, there's a word. Um, that, that's, so that gives, me, that gives me a clue that that's, so the, the, if you think this is a lifestyle, you're sort of thinking maybe there's some choice involved or that there's one way to be gay. Um, now, now, Sean and I were laughing earlier about our choice of clothing, and maybe there's, there aren't too many different ways. I don't know. But, <laughs> um, but, you know, lifestyle, you can have an active lifestyle, you can have an extravagant lifestyle or a downtrodden lifestyle, but there's not really an LGBT lifestyle. Um, here's another one I love. You know, some of my best friends are gay. Now, even, even when that is true, and it's probably true for some of us, um, 
That doesn't mean you appreciate the, the diversity of the LGBT community or that you understand the process of coming out and what it's like to come out. And it's different to come out as L, G, B, or T. It doesn't mean you understand the daily lived experience of going to school and going to work and raising a family as an LGBT person. You have to really walk in that person's shoes. Um, another word that I talk about quite a bit is the word tolerance. Um, this is a word often used to describe an open attitude, a friendly attitude toward LGBT people. Um, but let's talk about what it means to be tolerant. Um, we tolerate pain. Um, when I was young, we tolerated visits from our Uncle Willie. And <laughs> but what that really meant is that we were waiting to show him the door as soon as possible. So it's really important to think about how being welcoming is different from being tolerant, and we can explore this a bit. Um, in, 1970, in the mid-1970s, Dr. Dorothy Riddle created a scale, they call it the Riddle Scale, and it was really designed to measure attitudes towards what was then referred to as homosexuality. Um, and the scale ranged from, on one end, repulsion, pity, and tolerance, and on the other end, this is the better end, hopefully you'll know, admiration, appreciation, and nurturance. Nurturance was the highest uh, measure on that scale. So clearly tolerance is not good enough. It's, it's really about waiting for something to change, to get better, or to just go away. So in training, I ask people to put themselves on the scale, not to share out loud, but just to think about for themselves where they are in their own process, um, to be honest with themselves about it. And then I pose a question to them, is that where you want to be? Is, do you think you can move? Um, is there something that would inspire you to move? And when we talk about the riddle scale and that farthest end of nurturance, what, I just want to share what that meant, at least to Dorothy Riddle. It meant seeing LGBT people as indispensable in our society, view, viewing us with genuine affection and delight. Uh, probably shouldn't, shouldn't be hard. Um, and those are, are nurturing tend to be our allies and advocates. So there's an engagement, there's an action. And that's where we want each of you to be. We want you to sh strive for that at West. And if you're not there yet, think about how you can get there. So uh, does our congregation can't move forward if each of us isn't moving along. So I think it's a job for us to think about the words we use, the things we say when we're talking about families, about relationships, do you, might, do you, out of habit, ask uh, women if they, if, they're, if they have a husband? Or do you ask, you know, if you see our teens and you're talking to a young man, do you say, so you have a girlfriend? Think about what we, sort of what we set up in terms of expectations and questions and ways that we might reinforce stereotypes about gender, about sexual orientation, or words that could sting or make someone feel invisible or unwelcome. Now, we are a minority, not just here at West, but in general. We, estimates of how many LGBT people there are range from 5% to 15%, depending on how you count us. So we cannot achieve full equality without the support of a majority of straight allies. Nor can we achieve a truly welcoming congregation without the support of a majority of allies. And not just support in theory, like, yeah, you know, I support marriage and I'm comfortable with gay people, but support in action. How do you engage with us? How do you engage in political issues that directly affect us and our families? What do you say at your own dinner table with your family and your children when LGBT topics come up? Being an ally signifies action, uh, speaking up and stepping up. I think an um, analogy I can make here is, I know Julie and some others participated recently in the Jubilee um, anti-racism workshop. And part of that work involves really unpacking uh, white privilege, really um, getting a deeper understanding of 
uh, how what what your role is in breaking down barriers around race equity and justice, um, becoming um, be, you know paying attention to your own stuff, if you will, and being an LGBT ally requires that same process of introspection, uh, conducting a self-assessment of your attitudes and beliefs. What do you think shaped them? What your comfort level is with LGBT people, and really looking at the L, the G, the B, and the T, because sometimes the comfort level is a little different. And um, what is your growth edge in becoming a more informed and engaged ally? So I think it's fair to say that West is probably very far ahead of the curve than many congregations, and there's always more to do. Um, HRC, the organization I work for, recently conducted a poll of 13 to 17-year-old self-identified LGBT teens. And just as a sign of what's to come and what it, that we really have to transform to be welcoming, um, over 10%, we had uh, 10,000 responses, and over 1,000 of those young people uh, chose a gender identity other than male, female, or transgender. Many chose to write in their own way of expressing their gender, and there were hundreds of variations of that. So how do we make room for this future generation at West? Um, how will we make room for some of our own children who will challenge our ideas about gender and sexual orientation? How will we embrace and support them in their journey? So how we talk about gender, how we recognize and affirm a wide range of expressions, identities, how we embrace the T in particular that is essential to our growth and diversity goals. I invite all of you to think about steps you can take right now, today, to become more open and embracing to the LGBT community. I thank all of you for being very supportive and welcoming to my family, especially for the Drizzen Khan girls who know their family is valued, respected, and loved. Hi, I'm Kristen Hunter. I skew straight and female. I'm also cisgender. And I consider myself a social liberal. I'm generally knowledgeable and accepting. I bake cakes for marriage equality. I cheer at the gay pride parade. I'm clued into global poverty, and I abhor violence and oppression where, it's, where people suffer everywhere. I'm in the community helping community. So I'm your basic, classic, garden variety, bleeding heart liberal. <laughs> Sometime last year, I got into various water cooler conversations with West staff about potential visitors who are looking for a church or a spiritual community in the D.C. metro area, and they Google UU plus welcoming community on the Internet. Well, West doesn't pop up. You know, we don't show up because we don't have that UUA welcoming community recognition, which we obviously should have. We need it. The UUA requires a certain process to get it. So I, when finding this out, I gritched and I grumbled about why Wes can't just grandfather in. Why does Wes have to jump through this hoop? Hasn't Wes been ahead of its time in welcoming people? I mean, our founding had African Americans in a, very, in a still segregated D.C. Our members hail from all different religions and spiritual and non-theist philosophies, and we've long embraced same-sex individuals and same-sex couples and all kinds of nuclear families. So my mouth sort of volunteered me to help Wes get certified as a UU <laughs> congregation. And I thought, what a cinch. We'll organize a couple of sessions, we'll check off those boxes, and we'll get our marriage ba merit badge in about three months. <laughs> so a little while later, I met Dana Pope, who had stepped up to lead Wes through the welcoming congregation certification process, and I offered to help her. So like most broad-minded heterosexuals, I have my share of light bulb moments. One in particular comes courtesy of my daughter. 
Of 12 of her cousins on one side, three are lesbians. She went to elementary and, high, elementary and high schools where no particular race was the majority. So her comfortable, normal gender and race baseline is, is like mine, but hers is ingrained from birth. And I kind of graduated into mine through deliberate introspection, changing the software, rebooting a few thousand times. <laughs> and I bump into this difference occasionally. Like with her cousin's, my niece's partner, who transitioned from female to ma- from, ma- from woman to ma- man, or female to male, I'm not sure which is right. Hey, why are we having these seminars and things? When I first met Chris and cousin Lil as a couple, I saw two women, two lesbians, and I'm going, wow, familiar, cool. But a year or two later, my daughter Merritt is recounting some fun, funny story about Chris, and she's using he, and my brain kind of went and she finished the story, and I, of course, asked about Chris's transition, and I fell face first into that pesky pronoun problem. Off and on, over some months, I kept slipping with the wrong pronoun, and worse, I made that glaring, neon-flashing pause <laughs> while I searched for the right, the very uncomfortable word. Merritt, on the other hand, never missed a beat with Chris because it was so natural to her. I didn't switch to Chris as he so easily, And I moaned to Merid, oh, my mouth is struggling to say he, but my my head is still saying she. Well, Merid's sympathy with my ox didn't last very long. And she laid me low with a classic, mom, just get over it. This is who Chris is. Deal. The translation, put your acceptance in your mouth and see the reality. So back to Wes and the welcoming congregation business. I walked into Dana's first seminar, which is a primer on terms for, for gender identity and sexual orientation, and I came to help set up, you know, as, as part of the, the crowd, and I was sincerely interested. But I also figured I'd help populate the session so that Wes could check off that box. So in 30 minutes, I was flabbergasted, my brain sparking, and I'm wondering what wilderness I've been wandering in. It's not just that I saw words or definitions I wasn't used to, And it's not that I'm unaware of gender identity, but I was horrified and chastened because while I see gays and lesbians and bisexuals and asexuals, I lumped people with less familiar gender identities into some general intellectual concept of other. And I realized that they were completely invisible to me. Moreover, I realized that the pain that they experience and their struggle to live in the same world I inhabit was unacknowledged, undetected, and unperceived by me. It wasn't prejudice. I was just unconscious, which feels far worse to a self-proclaimed social liberal. Man, triple, quintuple, ouch. This epiphany that my perception of gender identity only took into account certain pieces has hit me pretty deeply, and I spent the last several months on a pretty steep education curve. I've been learning to see gender anew, basically rebooting my mind and my eye. And I'm practicing Dana's obvious solution to the pronoun problem, which is simply ask the person you're talking to. If you don't know how to address someone, how tough is it just not to flinch and just ask them what word they describe themselves with, what pronoun they use? It might be Z or Zer. How tough is it compared to assuming a gender or assuming a pronoun so that the person in front of you feels completely invisible? Asking really just opens a door. It simply means I'm interested in you, and it means I see you. Now, these days, I'm wondering when I hear, ladies and gentlemen, 
who in the audience is being left out or, or feels left out? And when I face those ubiquitous surveys or official forms, I now look at the male-female boxes and I wonder, if other pe- that wonder whether other people don't know what box to check in that black and white universe because they feel green. And I wonder further, what if they feel male that particular day, but three days ago their female was in ascendance? What if answering truthfully means both or neither? So where am I? In Dana's Gender Identity 101 seminars and conversations with my daughter and in examining just my universe and what I see and what I know, I'm trying to figure out where I need to be. Big surprise. I've tossed away my earlier opinion about welcoming congregation certification being just a formality. I believe that I am and that we at West are welcoming. We get the big picture, for example, and we support an equality of rights for gays and lesbians in same-sex relationships. But what else are we missing there? What else, what other pieces of this story are we not seeing? I mean, we talk easily about gays and lesbians here, but where are our everyday conversations about the whole spectrum of gender identity? When was the last time polyamory just dropped casually into your conversation? Can we truly welcome people we don't talk about? Are we glossing over people we don't see? Well, I feel humbled, and it's hard to admit I found blind spots, but I'm exhilarated at the same time. And I'm one of those culturally competent people I thought that Ellen was talking about. Who needs a lot more to do a lot more work? And I thought I had a good grasp of gender, but I'm finding that, yes, I may appreciate, but I still got a ways to go to nurture because I didn't realize that wasn't in what I was doing. So... I propose to you, I'm going to go back through all these courses and seminars again that, I've, that Dan has run, and I encourage you to come with me and learn more, and let's get out there to nurture. We can change our little piece of the world. We can hope for no more forms with only A or B gender options. We can hope for no more invisible people. We can see everyone. Hello. I'm Dana Hope. And I've been spearheading the Welcoming Congregation Initiative at West. Throughout this process, I've been thinking about what does it mean to be intentionally welcoming? What does it look like, feel like, sound like to be intentionally welcoming? In many ways, it looks like West on Sundays. Many people experience West as a friendly and welcoming place. West is what I would call automatically welcoming. Automatic welcoming is real welcoming, but it tends to gloss over differences. Automatic welcoming is saying, we're glad you are here, without knowing the specifics of who you are, or leaving mental space to figure that out along the way. If you have a marginalized identity, perhaps especially one that is invisible, this may not feel genuinely welcoming. The difficulty is that if we are unintentionally unwelcoming to a newcomer, we may likely never know. We just won't see them again. In order to make Wes feel welcoming to all people, we need to become conscious of the ways we interact with people and the messages we send collectively and individually. When we talk about becoming a welcoming congregation in the UUA, we're talking about going beyond automatic welcoming and becoming intentionally welcoming to people of diverse gender identities, sexual identities, and sexual orientations. Now, I'm going to explain a little bit of terminology, so prepare yourself, because 
This can be a lot to keep track of, even for people who are familiar with it. Gender identity refers to an individual's inner sense of being a man, a woman, neither of these, both of these, and so on. Someone who considers their gender identity to be the same as the one they were assigned at birth is called cisgender. Cis, C-I-S, means on the same side as. And it's the opposite of trans, which means across. So I am a cisgender woman. Some other examples of gender identity are transgender, genderqueer, agender, gender variant, and so on. Biological sex is the identity that you are assigned at birth based on medical professionals looking at your genitals and making a pronouncement. (laughs) So this has nothing to do with gender or gender identity, even though we conflate gender and sex all the time. It has to do with what we consider to be physical attributes, anatomy, chromosomes, hormones, and so on. So having a gender variant identity does not mean that someone will change their body in any way. Sexual orientation refers to sexual, affectional, and or romantic attraction. Some examples of sexual orientations are gay, lesbian, straight, queer, bisexual, asexual, and so on. Yes, there are more. Quilt bag is an acronym you might have seen used here at West. I learned it a couple of years ago, and I'm trying to spread it. So it's a more inclusive version of LGBTQI and so on. It's also easier to say. The letters stand for queer, questioning, unlabeled, intersex, lesbian, transgender, transsexual, bisexual, asexual, agender, gay, genderqueer. Yeah, so those are a lot of words. (laughs) I don't expect you to memorize them, and some of them you may not have heard before or, or may not know what they mean. So I also invite you to come to the Welcoming Congregation workshops, which are starting again on March 24th. And the first one that that Kristen talked about, the quote bag workshop, is all about all of those words. So all these different gender identities, sexual identities, and sexual orientations relate to how welcoming we are. When we automatically, as opposed to intentionally welcome, we make the same assumptions about people that society tends to make about people. In our society, we assume that people are attracted to a different gender. We usually say the opposite gender. We also assume that people are attracted to only one gender and that people are, in fact, sexually attracted to anyone at all. We assume that people's sexual orientation based on the perceived gender of their partners. We assume, we make assumptions about a person's gender based on how they look, what clothes they're wearing, and so on. They are a man or a woman, a boy or a girl. But we also know that people do not fit with these assumptions. To be intentionally welcoming means to challenge our assumptions about people in every interaction. One of the important realizations I've had when it comes to truly and intentionally welcoming people is that the individual gets to decide what words they use for their experience. So it's not important that you know all possible definitions for a word or that you keep up with every newly coined term. What is important is to respect and respond with the words that people choose to describe themselves, even if you wouldn't use them. This also means that you can respectfully and curiously ask them what a word means for them if you're not sure. I want to share a fairly common experience I've had. I identify as queer and bisexual. I prefer the word queer, but I have found often that when I use it to describe myself, people challenge me about using the word. 
They talk about it being offensive and hurtful, or ask intrusive questions in a non-respectful way about my life. So I have taken to using the word bisexual more and more often, because it doesn't usually evoke as many negative responses, at, at least to my face. Sometimes at West, when I use the word queer to describe myself, people debate whether or not the word is okay to use. I want people to feel free to pull ideas apart so that they can learn, but it can still be painful to have my identity challenged. I find it especially hard to hear that I shouldn't use the words that I feel comfortable with to describe an important part of me. So my own experience has underscored what I've learned from other people, that the important thing to remember when it, when it comes to people's marginalized identities is that the individual gets to decide what words they use for their own experience. We've done many things in the past six months for the Welcoming Congregation Initiative, and we'll be voting in June to make it official. That doesn't mean our work is over. There are many, many people in this room who have done a lot of exploration into science, politics, history, psychology, all the humanities. What I think shows a real commitment to being truly welcoming is exploring heterosexism, cisgenderism, monosexism, racism, sexism, classism, ableism, etc. How these things intersect with each other and to seek this information out on your own initiative. As people who are interested in eliciting the best in ourselves and in others, we need to place the responsibility for education around these issues, not on the people that society marginalizes, but on ourselves in our mainstream identities. I am cisgender, and therefore I need to seek out information on how to be a better ally to people who are transgender and gender nonconforming. I don't want to treat people like guinea pigs as I work out my own cisgenderism. I know how hurtful it is to be marginalized, and I want to proactively work on myself and on a groups, the groups that I belong to, so that when another trans person comes to visit, we are able to truly and intentionally make them feel welcome. I have a vision for what a welcoming community would look like. We would see a variety of people from all identity groups, both visible and invisible. We would bring our whole selves and feel recognized and celebrated for them, even the hard or scary bits. We would ask open-ended questions that leave space for people to share themselves with us as we get to know them better. We would follow not just the golden rule, but the platinum rule. Treat others as they want to be treated. Thank you. Good morning. Most of you know me, I think. I'm Sean Taft Morales. Um, I grew up at West, and I've spoken at my share of platforms. But today's platform has been especially hard for me to write. It feels intensely more personal than other platforms I've given at West because it's forcing me to lay out issues that are still confusing to me. My gender identity and my relationship with that identity are still raw and changing and often painful and isolating. I also want to be clear that they're also often joyous, honest, and full of self-care and community. Most days I feel comfortable in my skin and my clothes and in the mirror, but I have days 
where my body or how people see and interpret my body just doesn't fit. Depending on my presentation, sometimes I'm afraid to go to a public restroom. My sexual and gender identities are elements of myself that I've been exploring for years and that I expect to continue exploring for the rest of my life. Coming out explicitly for the first time to a community that has been my home for about as long as I can remember is quite frankly terrifying. But I also feel like it's something I can do and like I can expect to be heard and welcomed and loved. So here's where I'm at today, or at least Friday night when I wrote this. <laughs> I think most of it's still true. I'm genderqueer. Neither man or woman wholly describes or defines all of who I am. Parts of each of those identities fit parts of me, but neither one captures all of me. I'm comfortable with both male and female pronouns. You can call me he or she. I've gone by both. I've been a boyfriend, I've been a girlfriend, and I've been a partner. Sometimes I wear skirts and dresses, girl clothes, and I'm really good at walking in heels. <laughs> I've uh, actually, not to brag, but I placed top 10 in the DC annual high heel drag race. <laughs> Most of the time, I pass and am taken for a cis man. I was socialized as a male, and I have lots of male and cis privilege. I'm also queer. I'm attracted to people with lots of different gender identities and non-identities. But because I can pass, and my partner Joanna is a cis woman, we're generally assumed to be a straight and cisgendered couple. In many ways, that makes life safer and easier for us. We can kiss or hold hands in public without fear. And there's universal acceptance of our relationship. No one has ever told us that what we're doing is wrong or dirty. In many ways, those assumptions are really hurtful and diminishing. When parts of myself are ignored and hidden, I am less. I'm less vibrant. So that's the identity that I've slowly grown into over my lifetime. It's an identity that many of you here at West have seen me grow through and into. It was never a question for me growing up that it was okay to be gay or bi. Between West, Tacoma Park, and my high school that was completely full of out teachers and coaches, I've been surrounded by very normalized gay and lesbian people, relationships, and role models. And by and large, I've always been accepted in those places. When I wore dresses to school, teachers offered me compliments. Whether I wore a studded leather jacket and chains and spiked my hair, or heels, lipstick, and nail polish, Sunday school, the teen group, and West as a whole has always had its doors and arms thrown wide open to me. But I've always felt accepted as a member, an individual at West, and as an extension of the gay and lesbian communities and our, and our commitment to them. I've always felt welcomed as a gender-bending queer kid, but not necessarily for being a gender-bending queer kid. When I've brought people I was dating who were genderqueer to Wes, it was a struggle and ultimately a failure to get their pronouns right. Some people rebelled against using their chosen pronouns of they. As a community, Wes has long waved the LGBT banner. We've claimed the struggles of many communities but we must admit we've only really been championing the first few letters of that acronym. 
We have a long and proud history of lay and ges- gay and lesbian lay and lesbian le- gay and lesbian activism, and we proudly support marriage equality. But our awareness and activism does not and has not extended to the trans and queer community, and not for a lack of issues to tackle right here in D.C. This week, Spa World, which many of you know and love, a uh, otherwise lovely sauna complex in Virginia. Uh, publicly announced their apparently long-standing policy of banning uh, trans or gender non-conforming customers. Uh, And this came out in response to a complaint from a trans woman who had been kicked out. Uh, This year in D.C., a cop who drunkenly solicited, uh, solicited sex from a trans woman, stalked and then chased her and her friends, jumped up and down on the hood of their car, and then shot two of them, was convicted of soliciting prostitution and assault with a dangerous weapon. 46 months of his prison sentence was suspended and he was immediately released following trial. That was this month. Murders in DC are at a 50 year low, but hate crimes against trans and gender nonconforming people are rising. On Friday, Maryland took the first legislative step as a state towards including gender expression in the state's uh, anti-discrimination legislation. Uh, currently, it's not in there. So I would take this opportunity to plug uh, Maryland Senate Bill 449, 449. Everyone make some calls after a platform today and get that passed. And that was all only local news from the last three months. Nationally and globally, the trans and gender nonconforming community is even worse off. It was only this last December that the American Psychiatric Association stopped classifying the trans experience as a mental illness, gender identity disorder. Unemployment in the community is double the national average, at 14%. If you are African American and trans, that rate doubles again to 28% unemployment. Every three days, a trans person is murdered. This week alone, I've seen two high-profile cases of trans children barred from using the appropriate bathrooms in their public schools. Gay marriage is not the only LGBT or quilt bag issue out there we can do something about. There's tons of outside work. We're a community of activists. But let's start within our own walls. My generation has a different story from the ones that paved our way. Neither myself, my sister, or many other of the six queer kids in the block I grew up on ever really came out. We simply started living our lives as the people we had always known ourselves to be. Sometimes that included cross-dressing or dating girls or choosing new names or new pronouns. And I can tell you, to back up Ellen's study that she mentioned, from my five years as working with the teen group here, that our youth are far more comfortable with fluidity changing and complex and nuanced identities, gender and sexuality. And what they, what I, what we need from you is a non-expectation. A non-expectation of our being straight or bi or gay or boys or girls. We must begin by challenging our own expectations and assumptions about people. We must listen with open hearts and trust what we hear. People are who they tell us they are. We just need to listen and sometimes to ask. 
If we are truly to be a welcoming congregation, we must know and understand all who we are professing to welcome. We must welcome all groups and people the same way we do the gay and lesbian individuals and families among us, by seeking to understand and accept them, and by fighting their struggles alongside them, as a community should. So thank you for being my home and my community.